I think yeah, most people can agree that fake people bother them, right? Um, there was a generation where you'd put up with it, but now you know young people, millennials, anyone younger, uh, just does not put up with fake people. And that's the funniest thing is because this next generation coming up, my generation and younger, uh, they are the fakest people out there. But they hate it the most. They are the people who present themselves with an online persona. Here's who I am. Here's my perfect family. Here's my perfect children. Here's my perfect car. Everything is perfect. There's no problems in my life whatsoever. So they present this very fake person. And yet... The thing they hate most about meeting a person face-to-face is when they're fake with them. But yet, they themselves are fake. They want uh, authenticity. They want someone to be genuine. Yet, they themselves are their worst enemies. This Bible passage we're going to read this morning, it highlights genuineness in love. We're going to look at that as one of the marks of a Christian this morning. So in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading at verse 9, and I will read through 21. This is God's Word. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You may look at this section of this chapter as a giant list for yourself and wonder how in the world you will ever check it all off. How in the world will you ever accomplish all of these things listed? What it looks like to live as a Christian. This is the fruit of a Christian on display. And here you may look at this checklist and say, that's impossible. You may think that you're supposed to do all of this all perfectly, all the time. But remember the context. Right before this verse talks about the importance of the body. Right? Like you expect that you should be all of these things all the time, and therefore the body of Christ will be healthy. It's not so. You are a weak and frail human being who makes mistakes. You do not do all things perfectly. But that's why you're a part of a body. Where you may not be doing one thing well, like contributing or showing hospitality, another person does. Where you may not be feeding the enemy, another person does. 
We're in the body of Christ. We are in this community that God has united this people together and we need each other. Because this together looks like a healthy body. When all of these things are in place and they are all doing their part, that looks like one healthy person. And that ought to be us and it will be us in glory. And it is increasingly us as we mature in Jesus, but it's never us perfectly here and now. But that's why we have the body of Christ. We each play our part. We are each a work in progress that God is shaping. He is transforming, it says early in the chapter, by His Word and by His people. He's transforming us. So when we come to a list of the, the marks of a true Christian, don't lose heart. You are members of one another. You rely on one another. You depend on one another where you are not doing so hot. And you may not have good example. You look around beyond your mirror and you see there's another person doing well. You thank God for them. You cling to them. And you imitate them. This is what a Christian looks like. And so we ought to be desiring to grow in every single one of these difficult things listed in this section. But don't lose heart because... God will have another person there for you. God will have another person to show you. God will have another person to make up where you're lacking in the body of Christ today. God has this thing under control. Never forget that all of these things in the Christian life, if you're to live this way, can only be done by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit of God. You can't muster this up in yourself. There is no way in your natural self, with your fleshly desires, your selfishness, are you going to feed your enemy. Your flesh says, let them starve. So it's going to be the Spirit of God that does that in you. It's going to be the Spirit of God who allows you to associate with the lowly when when the flesh says, no, you ought to be something special. You want to associate with the elites. You want to know who you want to know. The Spirit of God is going to say, that doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter how famous the people are that you know or how rich or what they've accomplished. The Spirit of God is going to transform you to love the lowly. This is the work of the Spirit. You can never try hard enough to produce this sort of living. So when you see that you're, you're missing something out of this list and you think, that is not even on my radar, what do you do? Just try Try hard, maybe buy a book about it. No. Seek God. Seek God's help. Come to God and and beg of Him, make me like this. And and maybe I don't know what this looks like, so, so show me a Christian who I can imitate who's like this. And God, by His grace, will produce in you something. He is producing in you this sanctification. And so, if you notice something's missing or not on your radar, pray Surrender yourself to God. As the beginning of this chapter started, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Offer yourself. Submit yourself fully to God. Say to God, I'm all yours. Where this area of my life I held once before, and this room of my life I've held captive, God, it's yours. And I realize that I've held on to it. So I need it to be yours so that I might grow. And as I grow, I might bring health to the body as a whole. And I might bring health to your glory in your name. Seek God. Ask Him to spend all of you, your time, your energy, whatever it takes in order to transform you by the renewing of your mind. 
as you pursue God in loving obedience with the strength that He supplies for you. Because that itself sounds exhausting. What do you mean i got to pursue God and, and obey God and seek God in this sort of way? He gives you the strength you need today. And He'll give you the strength you need tomorrow. What's interesting about this whole passage is that it assumes a lot of things. It assumes a lot. So look again with your eyes and track along as I show you what this passage assumes. Beginning again at verse 9 through 21. Just follow along with your eyes and see if you can see these things. What this passage assumes. It assumes that you are loving. It assumes you know what is evil and you know what is good. It assumes that you're in community and have brothers to be affectionate towards. It assumes that you are all showing honor to one another. It assumes you're zealous, or that you're serving, or that you have hope. It assumes you will and do face tribulations. It assumes you pray. It assumes that you have something worth contributing, and that you have ways to extend hospitality. Verses 14 through 21 assume a whole lot more that we will look at in the weeks to come, but even there... You see verses 9 through 13, all the assumptions that this has upon a Christian. This is what God is doing in a Christian. There, in verses 9 and 10, are five main marks of a Christian we're going to look at. The ways that a Christian life plays out, that the fruits are seen or evidenced. We will focus on these two verses today, 9 and 10, and look at the rest in the weeks following. These marks of a Christian are given in the form of commands. So then we must listen very carefully. Verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. What's amazing about this passage in Romans is it parallels Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. So, if you look at verses 3 to 8 in Romans 12, we know that that was about the, the grace of God being poured into us, bringing us into a body, and giving us gifts of the Spirit. That's verses 3 to 8. And, and that corresponds with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're to read it. Now, this next part of Romans, verses 9 through 13, corresponds with 1 Corinthians 13. So, 3 to 8 corresponds with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 9 through 13 is a parallel to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, do you know 1 Corinthians 13? It's read at most weddings. Right? But it's got some before that. Before you get to love is patient and kind, there's some good stuff before that. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 13 You can listen or read along. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body, To be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And it skips down and says, So now, faith, hope, and love uh, abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Jesus, when answering a man, when he asked, Well, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus summarized the greatest command in love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the greatest of these. So when our passage here begins in verse 9, it says, Let love. It assumes you're loving. But it assumes a certain type of love. It commands a certain type of love. Love that is genuine. Or love that is without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy in the Bible is an amazing one. It is the image of a man who wears a mask and says, Look, I'm a happy guy. And he puts on a show. And he takes it off and he puts on a sad mask. And he takes it off and he puts on a different mask. And you never know the person underneath the mask. He's acting the entire time. That's a hypocrite. That's what the word means. So when this verse tells us, let love be genuine or let love be without hypocrisy, let love be real. Let love be raw. Let love never be covered up with a smiley face on top. Let love be genuine. I love in 1 Corinthians 13, before you get to the famous part, where it talks about all these different uh, spiritual powers, right, that are reflected earlier in what we just talked in Romans, about um, the spiritual gifts. And he says, it doesn't matter if I have all the spiritual gifts. If I don't have love, I'm nothing. So you can have all you want to have and think you can contribute all you want to contribute, but if you do not have love, it's useless. And so we're commanded here then in verse 9, following this, talking about you and your part that you play in the people of God, your part that you play in the body of Christ, that you do have a part to play, every single one of us. We're a part of the body of Christ on purpose, and we have a part to play. But if you use your part not in love, then it's useless, and it's not helpful to the body, and it's not beneficial to the glory of God. So that's why immediately following this section about your involvement in the body of Christ, your necessity in the body, it says, let love be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. This love, the word love that's referred to here, if you know anything or you've heard any messages about love in the New Testament, you know there's four Greek words for love, four types of love in the Bible. And this one here is the agape love. Agape love, if you know anything about this, is the love that God has towards His people. Agape love is a love that is chosen. It's not an emotional love. It's not an erotic love. It's not a friendship or familial love. It is a chosen love. It is a love which is said, it doesn't matter what you are or who you are, I love on you. I have chosen to extend love to you. This love is not governed by emotion. It's not controlled by emotion. 
It doesn't depend on how you're feeling towards a person or how they're acting towards you. It's a love that reflects the very love of God. It's unconditional. It's a humble, serving kind of love. A kind of love that you see displayed in Jesus Christ. A love that that came not because you were amazing, but because you were a sinner, undeserving. A love that chose to come. To endure hardship, to endure all temptation, to prevail. A love that chose to go to the cross and bear your sin on Himself. Stood before the holy God and said, I can be counted as them. A sinner. Condemned. Unclean. That's the love. A love that that finally went to the cross and was crucified. And died. And rose again. And now is sitting at the right hand of God. Loving you. Interceding for you. Choosing to look at you as his own self. In his own righteousness. That's the kind of love that we see God has. Humble, serving love. Humble being God came from the heavenly realms and humbled himself. He stooped down low to this dirty, filthy, sin-filled planet. That's the kind of love that God had. A love that served Jesus himself. I came not to be served, but to serve. That's the kind of love that's on display here. This is the love of God. When you think about the love of God, it seems so distant. So unrelatable when you think about love. Because you know that people who say they love you hurt you. You know that the people who who say they love someone are just maybe using them sometimes. You know that people use that word love for pizza. What is love? We ought to look at the love of God and it is so unique, but yet God grants it to us. He grants it to us. We love because He first loved us. 1 John 4 says, His love, His type of love is now made manifest in us. This is a love that continues when a person stops being kind. When a person stops putting on the show. This love continues. And it pursues a person. This is the kind of love that tells other believers the truth. Now this is important. This is where this genuineness and this without hypocrisy shows. This is love that is raw. It tells other believers the truth all the time. Because a lie is not of God. Tells believers the truth all the time. Tells all people the truth all the time. But here's a prime example. When someone asks, how are you? Genuine love tells the truth. Says, I'm struggling. I've had a hard week. I'm, I'm wavering my faith. I haven't prayed. I feel distant from God. I'm struggling with this sin or this temptation. Genuine love answers the question to a brother or sister in Christ honestly, genuinely, without hypocrisy. There's no hiding behind a mask in genuine love. 
So when a person pours out themselves in genuine love to you, when they ask us a simple question, how are you, which in our culture, the response always is, I'm good or I'm fine. That's a lie. And it's not genuine love. So when a person finally does pour out themselves to you when you asked, you opened up that can of worms, you said, how are you? And they said, rotten. Broken. Tempted. Guilty. When a person opens up in genuine love to you in that way, the way you then respond in genuine love is in genuine love. Not by saying, it's all okay. Or, let's try to fix this. Genuine love is not going to try to put on the happy mask or slam it on the other person's face and say, let's not pull that off again. Genuine love responds to raw and honest answers with raw and honest feelings. You weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You you tell the truth to that person. That though they are going through the valley and they are in the worst time of their life, you remind them of the truth. That this light, momentary affliction is producing in them the weight of eternal glory. Tell them the truth. That's what the scripture says. Scripture does not say the affliction is not there. The scripture does not say just get over it. The scripture does not say that you are not going through trials and sickness is not for you. It does not say that. It tells the truth. That you are afflicted, but you're not destroyed. Genuine love responds to, to genuine love with truth and honesty and not hypocrisy. This is the kind of love that we need to show one another. And that's just one example. Beginning with the salutation, how are you? Genuine love is so raw. It's the love that we ought to have for all the saints. No more wearing a mask. It's interesting because this is not just a concept out there. It's a concept for you. It's a command for you. So then, when you come to a command in the Bible, you must ask yourself, have I obeyed or disobeyed this command? Am I doing well to obey or disobey this command? Am I genuine in my love? Or am I a hypocrite? Do I, do I tell someone, I just love them and I love your company and I think you're great? Or do I be honest? What's this genuine love look like? Are you an honest person? Do you tell the truth? Do you love people the way that God loves them? And genuinely. Not with the mask on. What ways have you not loved other people genuinely? In what ways are you wearing the mask even today? What ways will you encourage others to wear the mask? How do we love each other better in the way that God does? What's amazing is God's love is not some like screen on top of something else. Like It's not a, a mask He's wearing. You see God's love is so raw. It's so real. You see it in, in, in many ways But a way you see it on display relates to the next part of this verse. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Want to know what one distinct feature of genuine love is? This love hates. This love hates. Genuine love is not all roses and candles. Genuine love hates. It abhors. Or what does it hate? You read that part of the verse again. Abhor what is evil. How many times have we been told that if we want to love the LGBTQ community, that means we must tolerate their actions and we must endorse them. And that when we say words like sin or repent, that we are unloving. Or many people think that loving a family member with an addiction means working around them, accommodating them, just letting them be, just be supportive. That kind of love is hypocritical. It's hypocritical. It's not genuine. If you love someone, you must also hate. You must hate. You hate what is damaging to them. You hate what this verse says is evil. Genuine love is not soft on evil. So when people have this idea that when you call out sin that you're being unloving, they don't know the love of God. Page after page after page of the Bible is displaying the love of God that says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's love. That is God loving people. Telling them that they are in danger of eternal torment and punishment. They're in danger. That is love to warn someone of the danger that they're in. To warn someone, to tell someone of the disease they have. That's loving. And it's hatred, isn't it? It is hatred of the very evil, the very thing that seeks to destroy the people we love. So when the Bible says the greatest command at first is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we ought to hate what is damaging to Him. We ought to hate what is degrading to Him. What's damaging to God? Well, sin. It robs Him of the glory that He deserves. And so we ought to hate sin first and foremost. And so then, even in thinking the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor, to love them you ought to hate what is bad for them. You hate evil. You hate captivity to Satan. You hate it all You ought to hate sin. David says in Psalm 101, he says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. He resolved to know nothing of evil. So we ought to resolve that, knowing that we're not going to be perfect as David was not perfect. But we ought to resolve to know nothing of evil. Each one of us, if we are Christians, belonging to one another must hate evil. First starting in your own heart. In your own life. Do you hate what is evil? And sometimes that word evil, you think, well, there is nothing evil in me. Right? I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like those people. I'm not like that sin. There's not much evil in me. I might tell a little white lie every so often. Or, but that's not evil. You've got to let the Bible define what's evil. What is evil? It's what robs God of glory. It's what's against God's own character. So first, we, we hate evil in our own lives. We're full of it. 
We hate it. Secondly, we hate evil in our church among our brothers and sisters. If someone is walking in a way of sin or a pattern of sin, you call, call them out and warn them. Matthew 18 tells us that. Take them aside. Show them the deadliness of sin. If they don't repent, take others with you and say, look, we, we are warning you. We're trying to pull you back from the fire. And if they don't repent, then you take it to the rest of the body and say, listen, we ought to pray for this person. They are in danger and their souls are in danger. And if they don't repent, they say, we can no longer call you a Christian. And we pray for your salvation. The Bible's full of warning, not just evil in your own lives and make sure you've got your own life in order, but make sure that the church is in order. One passage says that it is your job for me and my job for you and your job for the person next to you is to guard each other from the deceitfulness of sin. Our hearts lie to us. Sin lies to us all day long. It tells us that things are good that are not good. And, and what is good is not good. Just don't do that. Our hearts do that all day long. And so we need someone else often to come into our lives and show us we're being lied to. We've been deceived. That is love. Love that is genuine. Hates sin in their own lives. Hates sin in the church among brothers and sisters. And then, yes, it hates sin in the world because it robs God of glory. It's taking all of God's glory that He deserves. What we must note here, very importantly, is what hatred must never look like. It must never look like violence towards people. It must never look like slandering people. It must never look like any sort of evil. We ought to be very careful. Instead, we must actually hate evil acts done towards all people. Let's not tolerate that. Let's not tolerate when people persecute other people no matter what it's for. We ought to hate that evil. They are people made in the image of God after His own likeness, meant meant for His glory. Let us never rejoice in their sufferings. Never. Let us not tolerate that. Let us be people of love instead who protect the vulnerable, who hate all evil which exploits the vulnerable and holds them captive. We hate the evil for the sake of God's glory. And we hate all evil because it affects God's glory first and foremost. Do you hate what is evil? Do you hate what is evil? Here again, this passage assumes that we know what is meant by the word evil. It assumes that God is transforming your mind by the the renewing of your... Sorry, transforming you by the renewing of your mind by the Holy Scriptures. Do you know what is evil in order to hate it? From sorcery to jealousy, adultery to controversy, lying and envying, bitterness and slander. It assumes that God is transforming our minds by the Spirit as we read His Holy Word. If you have any paper before you, write these passages down. Romans chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 5. Colossians chapter 3. 
and Galatians chapter 5. I'll say them again. Because these are so important to know what God says is evil. And that as we read His Holy Word, that He might transform our hearts. And we ought to hate these things that are listed in these passages. The passages again are Romans chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, and Galatians 5. Those are just a few of the places where there is a list of things that God says, these are sin. A list of things that should not be present in a Christian's life. A list of things that we ought to hate. Let us know them well and and then ask God to transform us by the renewing of our minds that He might plant those words down deep in us and transform us to hate them in our own lives, to hate them in our brothers' and sisters' lives because they're destructive, and to hate them in the world because they rob God of His glory. It helps us to discern the will of God, to know the acceptable and perfect and pleasing will of God. What pleases Him and what does not? Do you know it? What God calls evil, do you call evil? What God hates, do you hate? The verse carries on, says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. And on the opposite end of that spectrum is, hold fast to what is good. So, abhor, hate, throw away, run from what is evil, but yet cling to, go toward, latch on to what is good. You see, with the same diligence that you were supposed to be cutting off evil in your life and hating evil in this world, you are to devote yourself to cling to what is good. You'll find in those same passages a list of virtues of the Christian. Things that God says, these reflect my character. Cling to those things. What's amazing is this idea of abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good does not just allow a person to stop slandering and then they're okay. If I just stop the evil, I'm okay. No, that's not enough. It says that the Christian doesn't just stop doing evil things, they do good things. They reflect God and Christ. They cling and hold fast to what is good. A person is not supposed to just stop lying and stop gossiping. They're supposed to pursue speaking well of people with the same passion that they had for gossip. They ought to have the same passion for truth. That's what we ought to do. Not just hate evil and be a grumpy little stickity Christian. Yes, hate evil, but pursue what is good for the glory of God and for His saints. Because when you encourage the saints of God, the mission of God is going to go forth. That's the whole point of our cooperating together in this one body. is God's mission in the world. To go to the nations, to make disciples. Man, we got a lot of lame parts in our body. I'm that lame part sometimes. You're that lame part sometimes. But thank the Lord, we are not the whole body. That we are one part who is important that God is using. Hold fast to what is good. Know what is good and pursue it. The next part of the verse says, love one another. So not just genuinely, but love one another with brotherly affection. 1 John chapter 4 has this great and convicting passage. It says, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11, and then verse 20 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love in this sort of way does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if He so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, that is, Christian brother or sister, if anyone says, I love God, but hates another Christian, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Brotherly love is so important. Brotherly affection is vital to your assurance that you belong to God. So in Romans chapter 12 it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Love the saints in a genuine way that is patient and kind and not self-seeking and does not boast in evil. Love the saints in such a way. People who are different than you, people who are like you, people who are more mature than you, people who are less mature than you, love them with brotherly affection. Don't ever cast them off because they're not like you. They're your brother and they're your sister in Christ. Love them with a brotherly affection. The last part of the verse says, outdo one another in showing honor. What an incredible command. It assumes already that you're showing honor to your other parts of the body, to to other Christians. That you're already showing them honor, that you're already lifting them up. But it says, outdo one another. Want to talk about healthy competition? Outdo one another in showing honor for people that's not you. Glorify, lift up, exalt other people. Put them on display. Let others appreciate other people. If we all did that well, we'd all be appreciated. Because if I'm appreciating you and you're appreciating the next person, the next person appreciates me, we've all been appreciated. This is how the body ought to work. We do not do this well, but that's why the command's here. Like, pursue this. You have to be intentional about this. It doesn't just happen to honor other people. We are selfish. We want the honor. We want the glory. This tells us, no, outdo one another. If you see someone honoring someone, giving them a card of thanks, publicly affirming them, genuinely go above and beyond that. See what is is missed by their affirmation and fill in the gap and say, yes, you've spoken to me in that way or you've encouraged me in that way. I see you working for God. I see God at work in your life. Affirm people. Honor them. Let that be the culture of your own speech and your own heart. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. These are the marks of a Christian. We thank God that He helps us. 
And you think of how beautiful that would be if we actually lived this way. Even just these simple things in these two verses. Oh man, I feel like looking at that picture takes a weight off. It doesn't add a burden. It doesn't put a weight on me. Instead, it shows me like this is what it means to live in God, by God's power, for God's glory. And there is no heavy burden in that. Jesus says, come to me. All you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. This is, this is part of that. This is what it means to live for and, and, and live with Christ. Is loving, agape, love, genuinely, without hypocrisy. Hating what is evil. Holding fast to what is good. Loving one another with brotherly affection and outdoing one another and showing honor. May God bear this fruit in your life and in mine. Let's pray. Oh God, what a beautiful picture that reflects your character. God, you are perfect in your love. And your love includes your hatred for evil. And your love and your I'm doing good. God, help us to know these things by your word, that you would transform our minds and transform our hearts and transform our lives by your word, that we would live this way, God, that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us and encourage us and equip us. God, that we would have good examples set before us where we do not do as well, that we would have someone to encourage us, to, to show us honor, to, to be with us, to love us genuinely. God, help us to leave our masks in the flame. To never put on a mask. But allow us to be genuine. To love genuinely. To not be fake. But to be real. God, and we need you to do that because we are a selfish people who do not love well. So we thank you, God, and we surrender ourselves to you even in this moment, God, that you would expose us in the areas of our lives where we do not do these things well so that we might come and be made new by you. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.